We're live. This is Failed State Update, and I am Joseph L. Flatley here with J.G. Michael and friend of the show, Lucian Greaves. Very excited. Always always fun to chat with Lucian. How are you doing? Well, we'll see how it goes this time. <laughs> you might put me in my place. Fun. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's the world isn't always a fun place. But what's, what's up with you, J.G.? Uh, nothing much. Just uh, trying to you know, do things with my own podcast and then also juggle that with filled states. So, you know, everything's going well so far. All right. Well, um, it's too hot out here in Florida though. Oh yeah. You're, you are a Florida man now. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's terrible. I mean, I, I have to deal with this craziness of Ron DeSantis running around yelling about groomers. I'm, I feel like I'm living in an alternate universe. <laughs> well, speaking of Florida, there's some Floridians that have been harassing Lucian Greaves. Um, some, uh, I believe they're from Florida, the sovereign reign of the heavens, sovereign citizens or whatever they're called. Well, they actually do seem to be spread out across the mm-hmm. nation. I think some of them were in Pennsylvania. I think, uh, I think some of them were in New Mexico. Is that where the church was? I'm not sure, but, uh, but they do seem to be spread around. And it was surprising to me. I mean, some people might not have any background on this, so I'll back up and let them know. The comedy started when I first got what was marked as a registered email from uh, some site identifying itself as the post office of the United States government or something like that. Um, not really the post office of the United States government, but a group of people who feel that they are the true heirs to uh, this great land of ours. And due to some kind of legalistic interpretation of the Constitution that they feel they have a purer grasp of, they are the legitimate government of the United States. And they sent me a deportation notice saying that uh, myself and all members of the Satanic Temple were obligated to, uh, to leave the meets and bounds of the United States of America in three months' time. And... Um, while this was funny at first, you know, I attended some of their open Zoom meetings that they have to run their government with, right? Yeah. And uh, in those Zoom meetings, we had recordings of them talking about burning our place down. Of course, somebody committed arson here recently. Um, didn't tur- doesn't turn out that uh, it doesn't seem that he had any relationship to these sovereign citizens. Mm-hmm. But they also spoke openly of lining us up and shooting us and doing other kinds of violent acts. So we did apprise the FBI. Sorry. So we did apprise the FBI of, of this situation. They know I haven't gotten any follow-up from them other than them after a while getting back and saying that they were aware they were keeping an eye on it and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So whether or not they're really building a case, I'm not sure. Um, But you know, I'm not really clear on what somebody's criminal liability is imposing as officers of the United States government and things like that. I would think making those kinds of threats is actionable for mm-hmm. sure. So it does seem kind of bizarre to me that nothing seems to have happened yet. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, you know, it's it seems to be and I think one example of this is the whole reign of Donald Trump. But um, 
there seems to kind of be part of the American legal system where it's you have to like have a good faith agreement to abide by it. So like what I think is happening a lot of the time is these sovereign groups are going into courts, going into jurisdictions, you know, mailing out their their fake legal documents. And since they're not even in the same universe as the actual court system, the actual legal system, there's very little you can do until, you know, a judge gets so pissed off that, you know, they, they make it their mission to take you down. But I mean, Oh, that happens. Like you can look mm-hmm. up, if you look up sovereign citizens on YouTube, you see these videos of these guys in court feeling like they've, they've unlocked the secret key to, uh, mm-hmm proclaiming themselves outside of U.S. law and trying to uh, impose that belief system on the courtroom. And judges sometimes have gotten very pissed off. And there's, yeah. there's video footage of this. And there's a lot more video footage of these guys getting pulled over by police. And they'll, they'll make their own driver's licenses and things mm-hmm. like that, too. Or they'll claim that they don't, you know, they're not under U.S. jurisdiction, so they don't need any of that paperwork or whatever. And you'll see that sometimes the police just in utter frustration wondering how do we how do we handle these guys but i did wonder that myself if the sovereign citizens movement is sufficiently large now and tied in with the type of crowd that was involved in like the january 6 insurrection to the point where some of the federal agencies feel that it's become politically fraught to take to uh, drastic in action against them. You know, I, I just I just feel like these are clear violations of law and that somebody would have made them account for it by now. And the fact that they haven't, I feel like might be a strategic ploy to try to preserve the peace when some people feel like we're on precipice of civil war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's You know, once again, I think it just goes to, you know, it's like the American legal system is so atomized, you know, it's you piss off the right person and it comes down on you. But, you know, the the sovereign types can play games for a long time before that happens. And, you know, I guess your experience, even, you know, the Satanic Temple's experience recently just even speaks more broadly to. I don't know if it's becoming, do you think America's becoming scarier or more dangerous for people who stick out like you? I mean, going to, you know, somebody burning your, you know, trying to set fire or setting fire to the headquarters is an escalation for sure. I, I didn't even get the whole story there. I figured. Well, I you think tell it's me. becoming scarier for everybody. And I mm-hmm. feel like we're seeing the results of polarization all over the place. And I'm particularly worried about the potential for real witch hunts now. You know, mm-hmm. a, a revival of the satanic panic is seems to be, you know, right on the horizon. All of the same tropes are being repeated. And I think something people don't realize is that polarization lends to these moral panics. Mm. The uh, satanic panic didn't happen just because conservatives had a particularly, uh, uh, were particularly well-placed to do that in the eighties and nineties, even mm-hmm. with the Reagan revolution and the, the map being uh, almost entirely red at that time. 
it took the collaboration of left-leaning people uh, to agree on certain premises with some of these hysterical theocratic evangelical types. And where that happened was when you had people on the left saying that you had to accept any claims of abuse, no matter how bizarre, because, you know, sexual abuse and that type of thing went way under recognized for too long of a time and that people don't lie about these things. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as a false claim. And then, you know, even if historically before that point, false claims were very rare at the point where you give somebody a carte blanche to make up anything, so long as they attach it to a tale of abuse, you'll see that become abused. And you see QAnon trying to capitalize on Mm -hmm. that by saying they're just trying to stop uh, child sex rings and and protected children and things like that, while also attaching that to claims of the Democrat Party being run by Satanists and other things there's no evidence for and are almost certainly entirely untrue. And so I feel like when you get this kind of polarization that we have where people are less interested in the truth and more interested in signaling to their tribe that they're on board with whatever they want to believe, which Mm -hmm. we really see quite starkly right now, we run the risk of there being some kind of unity on certain points where they're both entirely wrong. (laughs) And that's when people really start getting hurt on really bad claims that reasonable people outside of that culture war context can mm-hmm. see it immediately for what it is yeah but aren't being heard and you know you can see our place getting burned down and i see people online now you know at first the response were the people in our immediate vicinity right mm-hmm. uh, neighbors and everything coming out a whole bunch of support a bunch of supportive messages from people people staying they, that this was awful, you know, recognizing it for a hate crime and everything. Now that the dust has settled a bit, we see all those responses. Just I just checked my Twitter 10 minutes ago and somebody retweeted my initial tweet about the guy lighting our place on fire, saying, uh, you know, he would he's willing to uh, donate gasoline to whoever wants to finish the job and stuff like that. There's people from the Church of Satan and the Church of Satan always has hard feelings that we've ha- we have them upstaged, mm-hmm. actually defending this guy lighting our our front deck and door on fire saying that you know this was just the classic poo prank stop crying kind of thing and it's mm-hmm. like i just don't feel like you would see that in normal times that where people were more reasonably willing to hear counter arguments to whatever they're thinking at evernorth health services We believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. And uh, I, I know JG has a question, but really quick, could you uh, just fill us in on what exactly happened with that arson incident? Yeah, I guess I should have started with that. I was, uh, I was uh, minding my own business one night and my phone had gone off and I saw it was a security camera alert. And unfortunately, I waited about all of a minute before I actually checked because the security cameras do distinguish between somebody coming onto the property or just taking note of activity, which could be something blowing by or Mm -hmm. an animal running by or whatever, or a light flashing or something like that. So when I checked the cameras, fire's already raging on the camera, called 911 immediately. They said they had already been called and, uh, you know, they were very quick. Uh, the, the police, the fire department, they, they got there immediately. And a lot of people are shocked to hear that the arsonist himself, you know, kind of took off around the block and then came back to watch the fire from across the street. He kind of pretended he was walking out of the scene. Oh, what's this? And at that point, we had already taken a still from the security camera showing that it was a guy wearing a T-shirt that just said God on it. And big bold letters and he was wearing a backward baby blue baseball cap mm-hmm. so very distinguishing features we'd given that to the cops immediately they saw the guy watching the fire from across the street arsonists tend to do that that just that indicates yeah. a certain level of pyromania and in fact it turns out this guy had several priors uh like six priors i think involved fire and like a fool he was taken in and and admitted that um, well, there, there's there's controversy now. Somebody uh, put a different kind of framing on this. He said it's a hate crime. And uh, uh, professor of religions in, in Austin, Texas, Joseph Laycock, actually took that to mean that he feels that the satanic temple is a hate crime, that our presence is a hate crime, that he wasn't admitting to a hate crime. Maybe, maybe not. But the guy also did state that he had a disregard for any human life inside of the house because he sees us as devil worshippers and worthy of being killed. So yeah. he's already You're been arraigned human. and there's already been a hearing and he's not being allowed out on bail and they're going to hold him for 120 days or until trial, whichever comes first. And some people were irritated about that. I want to make clear, I don't think that's that's out of the question for the court at all. I think the court intends to bring him to trial before the 120 days and that they're mm-hmm. not going to wait out the 120 days and let the guy out. They seem very, uh, they seem to take it very seriously. And in yeah. Salem, you know, the police were all over it. Even, even a couple of city council members, one city council member came out that very night and spoke to us. Another uh, offered support publicly through social media. We don't have any, any problem with the local population mm-hmm. here, you know, so that's a good thing. For sure. Um, yeah, and it's, I don't know, JG, were you gonna? Yeah, I I did want to, I did want to, um, uh, contribute a little bit to this because it's interesting. You were talking about how we're in the midst, uh, uh, of a new satanic panic. And I, I think it's interesting looking back at the older iterations of satanic panic, particularly in the eighties and nineties, when you had these people like, um, Ted Gunderson running around. Oh, I'm a former FBI agent. They're Satanists in the suburbs. And it's really interesting when you listen to those older sort of promoters of satanic panic, when you start digging into like what they're saying, 
they're sort of implying that anything that isn't this sort of Christian right wing view is is uh, part of Satanism, like any form of secular humanism or even other religions. Uh, it, it's all secretly satanic. They're possessed by the Antichrist. And it, it's very interesting to me now because I was just reading an op-ed in a conservative outlet called PJ Media. And the op-ed was called, "We need to, maybe it's time we need to, t- to start talking about demons. And literally this, this major conservative outlet is saying, we need to talk about how people are being possessed by the devil. And that's the only reason that liberalism is growing. And it seems like we're in this satanic panic now where even if the right wing isn't using the term Satanism, even if they're saying radical left or uh, the liberals, you know, they, they are essentially engaging in a form of satanic panic, even when they're not talking directly about like using directly using the term Satanism. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think what's really scary right now is that it's not just the right for us. Uh, you know, when we first started doing what we were doing, you know, the, the left wing press loved this idea like, oh, you think Satanists are bad, but they're fighting for the right values and stuff like that. Now that that has worn off, we're finding that people are are more amenable to the idea that, you know, oh, you thought Satanists were the good guys in this battle, but turns out, fuck them. And I just got an email yesterday from a so-called journalist at Jezebel, which kind of positions itself as a as a feminist publication. And it was like a 24 ultim, 24 hour ultimatum to answer these very slanted bias questions that indicate that, you know, a hit piece is coming out. But it gives the appearance of allowing us to reply without really addressing like what the actual claims against us are. It, it, it was asking, like, what do you think of the idea that um, that your abortion ritual, which is something we say uh, helps us in our battle to preserve reproductive rights for our membership. You know, if somebody's going to go through an abortion, they're a member of the Satanic Temple. They have kind of a pre and po- post counseling session with one of our ministers that acts as an abortion ritual. And part of our argument in preserving our reproductive rights is that once we start a ritual, there's no place for the government to interfere in a religious practice. So if we can't get abortion on demand or if they put roadblocks and impediments between, you know, the opening of this ritual and the closing, you know, we have a strong religious liberty claim. And so, you know, the Jezebel author was asking, like, well, I've, I've talked to some people and, and they say that you're, you're this is a, a legal liability for the, the people who might try to do this. And it's like, how do you respond to that claim until they actually tell you how we're putting them in legal danger? Right. Like right. they have to consult with a minister. So it's like they're going to be apprised of what the potential is for litigation and the fact that we need to to litigate, to have our rights recognized in this case. And then there's questions like, well, where are the excess funds from donations going? So that presupposes that there's all this money we're swimming in when it's like, we raised $150,000. We have four pending lawsuits now in reproductive rights for litigation, and we're offering aid to people who are seeking to terminate a pregnancy there's not any fucking leftover money and there's not going to be right. We're a, we're a long way from not being at a loss in any of this and not being allowed to address it. And anyways, I tell you all that because like I said, 
previously, you know, like five years ago or whatever, they would just write Satanists are taking on the evangelicals and stuff like that. Now they're comfortable because even though we're a protected class as a religious organization, nobody really thinks of it that way. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's kind of a green light to shit on us, whether you're saying that we're just pranksters trying to take advantage of a religious liberty loophole, or you're saying we're evil because we self-identify as Satanists. Either way now, it seems like we're going to start getting it on the left and on the right. And people are all too willing to engage in the politics of humiliation and and uh, and just outright assault once they feel that they have that carte blanche. They have the green light to just tear you apart and look at all the negative and not listen to your refutations at all. And scary for us, I think we're just on the edge of that, of, of having like a, a, uh, a bipartisan loathing directed <laughs> towards us when we haven't actually changed our, our mission or, or uh, activities at all. You know, a lot of the uh, criticism I see coming towards you from the left um, really seems to be, you know, like the only thing that they can attack you for is not agreeing with your tactics. Like we might agree with what they're doing, but we don't think that their tactics are, uh, are you know, valid. But it's like even the amount of vitriol that comes packaged in that is just really odd to me. Like it's really been just watching, you know, it's like a media criticism take on this, just watching the, how things have switched so totally for you guys. It's been really remarkable. It's not only, you know, criticism of tactics. That's how it started. People were vehemently opposed to us not being more than I think, we should be, you know, more than we are. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem of a lot of progressive organizations. A lot of people who lead progressive organizations will tell you like they get torn apart over conflicting missions, conflicting agendas within their organizations, people insisting that they need to be everything for everybody. And we would get that all the time. People coming to us and saying, what are you going to do about this issue? Or what are you going to do for these people and things like that? And, you know, it's, it's very touchy because as soon as you say like, look, we're not getting involved in that. They think they interpret that to mean you don't support that cause. In fact, you're actively against it. I mean, for instance, like when George Floyd was murdered and people were rightly protesting uh, a lot of our, our local congregations and things like that wanted to get out and fly our banner and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And we thought that was a bad idea, not because we thought it was a bad idea to protest, but because it was a bad idea to go out there and say, Hey, look at us. We're the satanic temple. That's not what that was about. Right. Right. And it's like, you know, a lot of people in black lives matter might not appreciate Satanists coming in and being like, Hey, look at the Satanists. We're on top of this issue and things like that. So, you know, our message was like, why don't you go out there and do that as a supporter of Black Lives Matter? Don't do that as, as though you're representing the satanic temple and more power to you for doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people didn't understand that. They insist on interpreting that as though we're against that cause. And I think something that underscored the wisdom in what we were doing is, you know, we started up a, a little campaign to help Ukrainian refugees who are members of the satanic temple get out uh so 
We started up a fund and we've gotten some people out of Ukraine, put them up in housing and things like that. And uh, we, we were discussing the public messaging about this. And somebody created a little social media banner or whatever that said, we stand with Ukraine with the, uh, with the satanic temple logo. And I know it seems like a splitting of hairs to people who would just come in the satanic temple, but me and the other co-founder were saying, you know, we think the message should be something else because for all we know in another couple months, Ukraine is going to be a puppet state of a Russian dictatorship and like this image will age really badly. And plus we're not in support of specific nations and things like that. We're, we're supporting values. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead we put out a thing that said we support peace. Right. Nonetheless, and this is, I think you'll be amazed that you hadn't heard about this because I thought it would be huge. I was, I was at home late one night. It had to have been a little bit after midnight and I had been smoking marijuana and I thought my day was over. And so I was, I was stoned. And then I started getting messages from people saying like, Hey, uh, uh, Putin's propaganda minister or whoever, some, some deputy in, in, uh, in Putin's own cabinet was on state media and said that it was tying Ukraine to the satanic temple because of, because of this messaging. Right. Mm-hmm. And in, in that way, trying to paint Ukraine as a satanic state, I mean, I think most people are aware of the Russian propaganda that was doing this kind of thing. I don't know if people were aware that they found the explicit tie between the satanic temple in Ukraine. But I thought that night I was like, well, well that night I was like, holy shit, I got to start like drinking some tea, you know, run around a little bit, sober up. The calls are going to start coming in. I'll be on mm-hmm. CNN tomorrow and everything. Nobody mentioned a thing about it. But at this point, I feel like I should write a thing. And just try to get people to understand, like, that is why we don't attach ourselves to other people's names. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't do them any favors, right? Right. It doesn't do Ukraine any favors for the Satanic Temple necessarily to say, hey, we we support you, Ukraine, you know, doesn't do uh, Black Lives Matter any favors for us to come out with our banners, waving them at, at their protests and things like that. And a lot of people don't care about the outcomes they mm-hmm. only care about how they look on social media you know right they only care that they were able to get the selfie of the you know and, and say like hey i was there i did my part you know i i have the right uh, uh the right uh image on my uh on my profile icon now and all that shit so mm-hmm. uh so everything's everything's settled now everybody things are gonna get fixed now yeah but i think and- organiza- progressive organizations have just been ripped apart by this type of stuff and we've held the principle you know Mm -hmm. i I feel like we haven't been we haven't been uh uh we haven't allowed ourselves to bend on this and i think that's how despite how painful it all is that's how we've survived i think we really have to start focusing on uh real clearly defined goals and really not try to spread ourselves thin and our strength is that we're recognized religion Mm -hmm. you know we do have access to make these types of religious liberty claims our strength is in not you know is not in attaching ourselves to a lot of these other movements regardless of how strongly we agree with them because we're not productive and we might be counterproductive and once we're counterproductive in that regard 
intentionally or unintentionally, like we never recover from that. Oh, can you imagine a headline like, you know, Satanic Temple and Atifa beat up Andy No in the streets of Portland or something, you know? Or you know, it, which, all it takes you, is like for some leader of one of these movements to say, like, to say publicly, like, hey, we don't appreciate these guys being here waving their flags and shit. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody would hate us then. Everybody would be on our shit. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. That's the reality of it. And, you know, how has your tactics changed over the years? Like, I know, you know, the very first, I think it was the first action where it was like, you know, you teabagged Reverend Phelps's, uh, grave marker or whatever you know that was more of a like yes men kind of you know prank media prank and obviously you got away from that really quick um you know how has the evolution continued as far as kind of honing your tactics well we have a lot more to fight back against now like uh like i was saying you know, it went from people uh, criticizing our tactics, and now we have people outright lying about us. Mm-hmm. So we have to be on top of like defamation claims and things like that too. And people hate us for that too. Mm-hmm. They'll say like, "Oh, well, why don't you just, you know, uh, why don't you just dispute the claim publicly then rather than go into litigation?" It's like eh, that's not how it works. Like it takes somebody sometimes all of a TikTok video or a tweet to accuse us of some heinous criminal activity and it can take us you know it can be a full-time job proving them incorrect and if it comes at no consequence to them they'll just do it again and again and you know once they make that claim even if we dispute it they leave it up online people don't understand that we've disputed it and you have to dispute it again and again so at the point where people are saying that like I'm embezzling money and things like that, which is, you know, people are saying that like there's absolutely no truth to it. We can prove that there's no truth to it in court and we'll fucking prove it in court. You know, like Mm -hmm. this is going to be painful for you too. And fuck you. Like, that's just how this goes. And it has to go that way. Like we don't love jumping into litigation against people, but like you have to do that. Any self-respecting organization it's like, and then we get this thing where it's like, well, you know, we're, we're just offering criticism. Why are you so litigious kind of thing? And it's like, there's a difference between criticism and accusations of criminal activity. You don't right. go around saying that a preschool teacher is, you know, engaged in child pornography and things like that, and then have a lawsuit filed against you and just say, I was just offering criticism. That's not how that works, you know? Right. And I feel like it's, it's similar with us, but it's really easy for people to frame it that way. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think your experience or your criticism that you're receiving, like, obviously it makes sense if you're in the United States and you're being libeled and you refuse to turn to the courts, that's like you're fighting with both hands tied behind your back at that point. But um, I think that also kind of speaks to like a type of type down hierarchy, which it's like, you know, something as simple as having a director and having people, you know, just just like the most minimal org chart makes people, particularly leftists and progressives these days, like uncomfortable. Like, I think that was one of the reasons Occupy 
burnt so quickly and burnt out so quickly was because there was no leadership. There was no sense of like strategic planning. Uh, how is, how is the satanic temple organized? Like you seem to be a lot more hierarchical than like Occupy Wall Street, you know? Well, right. But we're against arbitrary hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So when we make those distinct uh, distinctions and delineations between people and roles, it's because they're doing specific functions and doing specific jobs, you mm -hmm. know, like me, I feel like I'm in service to the organization. I don't feel like I'm an overlord over everybody who's part right. of the satanic temple. I'm subservient to the entire thing. And in a lot of ways, that's hell, you know, but oh, we've gotten, we've got a bunch of clearly defined campaigns, people running those campaigns, people working on projects in those campaigns. And we've got uh, real standards by which we want anything we do to have, you know, any anything campaign wise to have very clearly defined goals, right? And I think that's where things like Occupy have failed. And I think, uh, you know, people don't like to hear it because they're still active, like like the March for Science and, and Women's March. Mm -hmm. um, they kind of had these nebulous messages around things that people consider laudable values. Like the Science March turned into people just holding up signs about anything and thinking it had some kind of attachment to to science. And there was, in, in you know, you can see a March for Science and, and agree with all of the signs, but it's like, if you're not asking for anything specifically, I kind of feel like you're squandering the power of mobilization, right? I think protests like that, that kind of mass mobilization should come with some very specific asks. They should have had some kind of model legislation created to try to advance some kind of policy to combat, uh, say, climate change or other issues that are clearly within the purview of understanding current science. Women's March, I feel like they should have had something queued up to defend reproductive rights. You know, it, that would have been a great time to really get people petitioning for federal uh, legislation that would protect reproductive rights and things like that. Instead, people just kind of got out on the street. They didn't ask for anything. They didn't get anything. Uh, which is what happens. Then they went home feeling accomplished and Trump was in office and I don't, you know, they weren't obligated to to answer any questions. They knew it would be forgotten a week later. And I feel like, unfortunately, that's what's become of protest in the United States. Now people, you know, the politicians who might've otherwise felt panicked by this type of thing feel like, well, you know, history has proven here that this just kind of, these kinds of things just kind of burn themselves out. People are happy, you know, being out on the street for a while. And then, you know, we were not really obligated to address this because, again, nothing, nothing direct is asked. And we try to really break out of that trap by making sure we have an action plan, making sure we have an ask. You know, the most difficult one for us is our gray faction campaign. We're fighting back against uh, conspiracy theorists in the mental health field. Because in some cases, like with our religious reproductive rights campaign, where we're trying to preserve reproductive rights for our membership on religious liberty claims, we have a very specific battle plan 
of how we're going to litigate this. It's going to mm-hmm. take years, but we know the precedent and the law is on our side. You know, whether the courts recognize the law is on our side or not is a different story, but it's on our side, right? If we can take seriously precedent they've set from everything to Hobby Lobby uh, on up, you know, with these with these religious liberty cases, it's absurd to think that we don't have a claim. But, you know, the, the courts have treated us very unfairly. Uh, people generally haven't cried foul in our favor when we have been treated unfairly. Uh, but we know what we're doing there. You know, with uh, the Gray Faction campaign, it's more difficult because, we don't really have the legal framework for which to uh, to remove uh, professional conspiracy theorists from the mental health field. It seems like it takes legislation before litigation before this problem will be solved. And we simply don't have lobbying power as the satanic temple right now. But we do do things like, uh, you know, file complaints with oversight boards and, and other types of things. But what we don't do is simply, you know, go out with signs and, you know, especially not if we're just going out with signs that say whatever, anybody, you know, a a variety of messages just to be there, just to get on the cameras or whatever, just to take pictures for our social media, which is something we're very critical of. And I think like because that's an activity so many people engage in that is, you know, caused no end of loathing towards us as well. Wow. Um, so obviously, I would assume that the abortion campaign would be your biggest, probably what you're working on the most right now. Um, what, you know, how did you get to, you know, the concocting the idea that, you know, the the abortion ritual and like, were there any other iterations of your, you know, pro choice activism before you guys landed on that? Well, we had litigated in defense of our reproductive rights before having the abortion ritual. And the abortion ritual looks like, you know, a a ploy by which to gain further exemptions uh, or, you know, a more ironclad argument for exemption by attaching this to a religious ritual. And that's actually just a happy byproduct because we have people who are really, you know, who, who are really uh, concerned for their mm-hmm. reproductive rights and their their choice and the fact that there is a lot of imposed uh, guilt and shame, or at least the attempt, you know, if somebody's going to terminate a pregnancy and that kind of thing. And they honestly value the abortion ritual for having that kind of counseling effect uh, prior and post abortion and being able to uh, put it in the religious context and have that kind of affirmation that they reached this decision with deference to their religious values and things like that. But previously in Missouri, we simply made a First Amendment case that was saying that their informed consent laws, which, uh, which demanded that somebody seeking an abortion need to go into the clinic and then um, needed to wait uh, 72 hours after receiving materials that uh, state mandated materials that inform them that life begins at conception and that uh, essentially abortion is murdering a, a person. And we were saying that's a that's a religious belief that conflicts with our own. 
And therefore we thought, you know, this was a, uh, this conflicted with our religious liberty. Um, we didn't, we didn't exactly lose those cases. Uh, the courts found every way on technicality to avoid ruling on the legal aspects of it, you know, and yeah. people like to blame our lawyers and say like, well, you know, they're just not doing this right. And, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I can tell you that's not true. Like uh, in Missouri, in one egregious case, there was this judge who waited over nine months and then handed down a ruling saying that because our plaintiff could no longer be pregnant, the case was moot. And the fact of the matter is, is that goes against the Roe v. Wade precedent. And this was, you know, before there was a question, like people didn't think Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned. This was years ago. But in Roe v. Wade, they had they had determined that uh, uh, capable of repetition yet evading review mm-hmm. is how they worded it, was a standard that uh, that the courts shouldn't engage in. They shouldn't just say that because it, you know, because this moment has passed, we're not going to deliberate on this, even though it can happen again and again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even this ruling kind of bypassed the law just to throw our case away. And that's what we see when we go in the courts. And, you know, so our, our lawyers couldn't have anticipated that. There's just no right. way. Well, I mean, it's definitely when you're playing with the courts, you know, it's a, the long game. You know, you just can't expect, you know, you got to be in it for the long haul. You got to have the resources and you have to realize you're probably going to lose a few ugly battles. Um, you know, the very term abortion ritual must scare the hell out of a lot of people like what what it can you can you kind of describe what it is a little more precisely for people we have it laid out on our website uh-huh. if you go into the menu and you go into the campaign section you go into re- religious reproductive rights mm-hmm. there's a segment for the abortion ritual and if you're a member of the satanic temple and you're seeking an abortion that's relevant to you yeah. And what you do is you consult with the minister and the minister kind of goes over this script with you and talks it out with you before your abortion and then after mm-hmm. the abortion. And that is the abortion ritual. And, you know, uh, like I said, our position is that the government shouldn't interfere yeah. with a religious ritual in any way. And part of the ritual is actually having the abortion mm-hmm. because there's that pre and there's that post. And in the middle there is the procedure. And that's how it happens. Right. So, I mean, that, on top of any free exercise claim we might make, there's the claim, uh, you know, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act claim that, you know, this is a religious ritual that you shouldn't be, be impeding. And I, I don't even think, we, you know, I think if things were being treated equally, you know, the abortion ritual aspect of the claim would be superfluous in my mind it's obvious that the free exercise claim is valid and should prevail but ludicrously we'll see i just saw a recent article where a uh where a spokesperson for the alliance defending freedom which is a theocratic Mm -hmm. christian nationalist litigation organization was speaking about both a jewish claim to uphold reproductive rights because you know, it's not part of the Jewish belief that life begins at conception mm-hmm. and uh, and the satanic temples claim 
that we have a right to preserve our bodily autonomy, which is, you know, part of our fundamental tenets. And this spokesperson for the ADF was claiming that in order for the Jewish claim and the Satanic Temple's claim to be valid, we would, we would need, we would by necessity have to prove uh, that due to these deeply held beliefs, somebody feels obligated to get an abortion. And there's a real irony to that because the ADF threw in on behalf of this coach in Seattle who was claiming he needs to be able to pray ostentatiously at the 50-yard line along with, uh, along with the high school football players uh, before, after, or during every game. And, you know, the school was saying, like, this is coercive to the students. You can't do it. And it's ending up going to the Supreme Court. So now, in this case, you know, being the Supreme Court, what it is, they'll find in his favor, I'm sure. But where in the fucking Bible are you going to see anything that says you have to pray at the 50 yard line with your students, you know, that kind of thing. Or like, you know, I always like to look at the Hobby Lobby example, because that one's so ridiculous. You know, the idea that a corporation has a religion and that uh, they can, you know, and that they're not obligated then to uphold uh, uh, federally mandated healthcare standards that supply contraceptive options. It's like, mm-hmm. Well, show me that in the Bible, you know, and what we're finding, I think, is that only religious minority claims are held to that kind of doctrinal specificity, right? And what's really tragic about that is I thought in the beginning, we thought, well, if those things happen, there will be an uproar, right? People will see the unequal treatment here, and we can at least count on legal scholars and stuff to call bullshit, but that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing people act as though some of these religious liberty rulings like Hobby Lobby are anomalous. And then if we come along with a qualitatively identical claim and we lose, you know, they'll act like, okay, legal normalcy has been restored, but it hasn't. What you're seeing is the normalizing of of discrimination, of religious discrimination, you're seeing a real imbalance. You're seeing Christian nationalists being given exclusive privilege in the United States through what people are taking as a whole series of anomalous rulings that they're not uh, taking seriously as precedent when it comes to any other religious claim. Mm-hmm. JG, you look like you want to say something. Um, no, I was interested into digging into that more, and I hope you don't take this as... I'm not even necessarily being critical here, but I remember when um, we were speaking about tactics and uh, I remember there was the case that the satanic temple did with, um, I believe it was the after school Satan club. Right. And I, I know that's old news, but I, I get that it was a reaction to uh, things like, I think it was called the the good news club authors like um, uh, Catherine Stewart have written about that and how, you know, Christians are trying to push these Christian after school clubs. So you guys did the after school Satan club as a reaction to that. Uh, and it was interesting to me because I was in high school when that happened. And it was, it was unfortunate because I think people reacted to hearing after school Satan club. And this was during a social studies class, people reacted to it and they just shut down about the actual debate about, um, you know, religious liberties here. And they just saw after school Satan and they were like, Oh, this is too weird. This is, you know, out of control. H- how do you respond to people that criticize 
your tactics on those grounds that it may alienate people or have your tactics changed a little? I know, is there a difference between the Satanic Temple and the United Federation of Churches? Oh, the United Federation of Churches was just uh, the first LLC we started up with, Okay, uh, with, you know, opting for uh, a benign name, you know, for our filings and stuff like that. And people like to make a big deal that we have now these different corporate entities. But if you if you see how we evolved, like nobody's been able to tell me how they would do it different. Right. Then we got our IRS tax exemption. We need to create the Satanic Temple Inc., you know, and we needed a 5013C to be involved in certain activities at all. And prior to uh, the tax exemption of the Satanic Temple, we started Reason Alliance, which had the stated mission of supporting the satanic temple and things like that. So, you know, in collaboration with lawyers, we set up this, you know, these affiliate entities, but, you know, we're still doing after school Satan clubs and, you know, people are critical about that idea. Like, well, you know, people get the wrong idea and things like that. And it's like, you know, we can't really uh, manufacture our activities based upon other people's misinterpretation we're 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 in this for the long haul right and the best we can hope for is that people uh become to come to understand better who we are what we're doing and what our values really are just by our longevity and just by our insistence on being involved in things but when it came to the after school satan clubs and applying to be in schools where you know to put our club in as an alternative to evangelical proselytizing clubs, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing for people to say in horror, like, who are these guys? What gives them the right? And is anybody vetting them? Because the fact of the matter is, we do do criminal background checks on anybody who's going to run an after school Satan club, not obligated to, you know, like any of these other clubs never had to. So all these questions people are asking now of after-school clubs because of our presence there are questions that should have been asked before. But I must say, I did think people would understand that at least a little better going in. But you see people just narrowly focused on after-school Satan Club and refusing to ask the questions in any broader context than in in trying to keep us out. Well, I mean, you know, after school Satan club or abortion ritual, you know, it's like just those terms are provocations. Like there's no getting around that. Like, yeah, but uh, in the case of the after school Satan club, imagine if we took people's advice and started our after school science club. And well, then yeah. people found out like this is completely owned and operated by the satanic temple. What the mm-hmm. fuck are they up to? Right. I don't think that would be any better. Like no. I honestly think with the after school Satan club, we had to, we had to put it out there in the name and everything. Oh yeah. I'm in agreement. It's like, you know, to complete my thought, of course they're provocations, but it's like, you're the satanic temple. Like what else are you going to, you know, there's a reason my understanding, having talked to you a number of times is that really the Satanism is in a, it's not a joke. It's not a it's not a gimmick. It's not a way to get right. They're not empty provocations. The point of the provocation isn't just to provoke people and piss Mm -hmm. them off. You know, there's a 
you know, to our mind, there's a real greater good being served here. And there's a greater good being served if they can get past that initial mm -hmm. shocked and appalled impulse and see what this is really about, because there's far more to it, like I said, mm -hmm. than just trying to insult somebody else's beliefs. Uh, that's not a part of it, right? I that's know. not like, go ahead, have your beliefs and that kind of thing, but respect pluralism, respect what this means in the context of what you'll allow on a legal level, right? Like, mm -hmm. I would hope people would ask, like, would ask themselves, what do I want here? You know, like, do I want the government to really be able to dictate people's personal conscience like this to the point where we're allowing access to public amenities to certain viewpoints and not others, you know, in a religious context like this? And where does that stop, right? Mm -hmm. Or are we willing to suffer what we feel is the indignity of, you know, Satanists running a small after school club that we're not obligated to send our kids to or engage with in any way. Yeah. Do you, and do you, um, just out of curiosity, do you think what you're doing uh, maybe opens people up to a broader discussion about religious liberty? So, so for instance, th there's other uh, religions that I think face discrimination in this country. You know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of Muslims who have been discriminated against, and I think they face their own discrimination tr struggles. Do you think what you're doing with the satanic temple maybe gets people to think more about uh, just religious discrimination more broadly and religious liberties more broadly. I, I'm hoping it does that. And like, there's a, it, it takes a certain type of optimism now to, 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 to hold on to that hope given what we we've seen, but we have, we are seeing now also, you know, this is the first time in a long time, a mainstream religious group has, has jumped in to try to preserve their rights in the face of the Christian nationalist coup but there is a synagogue in, in Florida that's pressing to preserve reproductive rights that I mentioned earlier. And I think we'll find, I suspect that we'll find that they're not going to be treated any more fairly in court than we are, you know. But I do hold out hope that when their claims are, are openly shit on uh, by biased judges, that there might be more public outcry. I'm really hoping so. And I'll, I'll stand alongside them in that outcry, you know, and, and I'm hoping that at least some of the background we have can also serve as an illustration at that point when people get around to being amenable to hearing this, you know, to, to hearing the plight of religious minorities now and accepting that, yes, the Satanic Temple are indeed a religious minority and even if you think there's some kind of artifice at play here, it is no business of the court to make those kinds of speculative judgments. And we've passed every sincerity test so far. Yeah, and what, uh, I don't know, we're, we've, it's been about an hour. Should we ask the YouTube chatters if they have any questions? I see uh, we got quite a cheering section, Lucian, here in the... Uh in the chat hey, would it be possible for me to ask one more question uh nope. flatly I, I, the other thing I, I just wanted to touch upon briefly here is um so the satanic temple I, I think people should know it's something completely different than you know say the the church of satan and i i wanted to point that out because i think the church of satan has been a rat nest for a lot of unsavory sort of figures 
over the years, sometimes very far right. And the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan are two different organizations. So maybe you could get into, like, where do you part from maybe the Levian Satanists? Well, there's a lot that we depart with. And, and uh, I, I wrote a whole article about this. If you Google up the, in fact, it's on our website. I wrote an article about the difference between the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan. And I think I was really fair to them. And I, 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 I went through great pains to point out how there are very left-leaning people in the Church of Satan, despite their adherence to uh, libertarian values that are, are seen as being, you know, entirely on the side of the right wing right now. And the fact that LeVay once described his brand of Satanism as Ayn Rand with ceremonial trappings and things like that. There's still this kind of core of like uh, individual empowerment and, uh, and adherence to scientific rationalism, despite a belief in magic and things like that. But I, I think there, there were some good core elements in, in Levianism that transferred over to the Satanic Temple. But, you know, a lot of the uh, Church of Satan's philosophy was predicated on old notions of social Darwinism. Yeah, Ragnar and, Redbeard. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. And, and we've completely departed from that. And I think a lot of people in the Church of Satan have pretty much departed from that, but it's become something different for them, similar to how there's such disparate threads of Christianity as well, from, you know, very liberal to the theocrats who are trying to overthrow the United States now. But on an organizational level, like the Church of Satan is essentially defunct, right? I mean, they, they still have a website and they'll still sell membership cards, but they're not, they're not in any way active in the way the Satanic Temple is. And they'll, they'll argue against that and say that's by choice, but Sure, it's by choice, but it's still the fact of the matter, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't make it any less true. Like, go ahead, do what you want to do. I wouldn't even be saying these things now if they weren't so uh, so vitriolic towards us on every, like, it seems like there's a, a, a staff of, like, full-time COS trolls who do nothing but comment on news about the Satanic Temple because they have hurt feelings about us getting attention. So it's really... Uh, it's really minimized my sympathy to the point where I feel like I can openly talk about these things and not feel like I'm, I'm uh, needlessly denigrating somebody. I did, I did not realize that there was uh, like a, 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 a little feud in some ways going on between the COS and the temple. <laughs> well, I, I never care about what they're doing. They just always insist on dropping in on comments on articles about us and, you know, to try to, to try to explain to everybody that we're not real Satanists and stuff like that. Their argument being like, you know, the only real Satanists are Levian and are part of the church of Satan or whatever. The, the and, church uh, of Satan troll army. <laughs> yeah. It's not really an army either. There's like 10 guys who've been at it for this past 10 years. And they just, I mean, some people just need to get a new hobby or, or give it up. Give it up. Yeah. Give it um, up. <laughs> i give up um, give it up for the church of satan everybody amen give up hallelujah so you got any music coming out any uh, music you know that's a good question right yeah. uh still working on putting together the scheduling to work on the next satanic planet album nice but i was listening to the last satanic planet album and i was thinking you know i think that's my favorite album of last year nice yeah and i have to say satanic planet is like 
such a kick-ass name. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. You know, that wasn't even, that name kind of just uh, arrived at us because mm-hmm. originally, you know, the other two bandmates that I started this with um, are in a band together called Planet B. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be an album where it was going to be like Lucian Greaves and Planet B. And we thought, you know, at first that I'd do just like some spoken word stuff and be a one-off album. Then we got in the studio and we were working on shit and we're like, okay, this is its whole own project. And then, um, you know, it was like, how do we mix the Satanic Temple and and Planet B? And it Mm -hmm. was like, Satanic Planet. Brilliant. And then Dave Lombardo came on board. (laughs) Nice. Um, Last chance, guys in the chat, ladies in the chat, people in the chat of all persuasions. If you have any questions for... None for Lucian, but if you have any questions for JG, well, that's it. We fucking dare you. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's it, man. Thanks so much. It's always, uh, it's always a pleasure. At least so on this side. speaking to you, and I'm very curious about stuff you're working on, and I hope we'll chat again soon for my Patreon. Oh, absolutely. Uh, All right. One question. What is Lucian's favorite song from the first Satanic Planet album? I don't know i kind of i kind of fluctuate on that but i i really i really kind of love the exorcism track like and it it it's hard for me to know like what this stuff sounds like to somebody just coming in and listening to it because i was part of the creative process and, mm-hmm. and putting this all together and 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 writing the the lyrics and and doing the vocals and stuff like that but like uh we started out with just such a a uh slow just kind of uh uh boring little melody in the background we turned it into this really grinding you know heavy uh heavy loop that i i i really can't get enough of so i do i do think exorcism exorcism is definitely definitely one of my favorites on that album nice and and somebody wants to know more about the uh, jezebel hit piece like what the questions were um Oh, you know what? After I get off the this uh, interview here, uh-huh. I'm going to, I, I've decided I'm going to preempt this one, right? Uh-huh. I'm going to uh, speak with uh, Shalice Blythe, who's worked with our reproductive rights campaign. And we're going to go over the entire email and talk about the questions and the, I'll read the, I'll read the entire email. So look out uh, on my Twitter, I'll post because I'm going to post the audio to the Patreon. I record these interviews mm-hmm. very lo-fi. You know, I hold my my phone to uh, to Zoom and just just record into that microphone. None of the fancy shit you're using. And then I then I post it immediately after. So, you know, uh, the journalist had given us a deadline of 5 p.m. today. So I assume the article will come out tomorrow or the next day. Mm-hmm. And I figure like I, I'm just sick of uh, I'm just sick of sitting around waiting for somebody to make uh way off base claims and then address them and then people act like well this is the stuff they don't want you to hear because they didn't share this article or whatever like why would we yeah but i want people to know exactly what we're dealing with and exactly what opportunity we were given to answer to uh ill-defined accusations yeah and didn't jezebel or was that the cut the last time that oh that was the cut the 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 one that was like an anti-gray faction piece that tried yeah. to make out the idea of false memories as merely being something that uh, 
protects abusers mm-hmm. and claiming that, you know, the false memory of uh, defense is always meant to protect abusers while saying nothing about recovered memories. Like, I, I don't know of a single case where somebody has invoked false memories for an abuse claim that didn't invoke recovered memories of abuse from decades prior or something like that. Right. Yeah. So when you cut out that part of the story, you're doing dishonest journalism and that's what happened. And it was, you know, and the author, uh, I think if I remember correctly, you might remember better than me. It's so much bullshit's happened since then, but, uh, tried to make it sound like we were explicitly tied to the false memory syndrome foundation in some kind of, uh, organizational way or whatever, maybe not, but, the, the way we were summarized was so idiotic and off base. I, uh... Yeah. It's that like blatant. What was really interesting about it was the, it was so blatantly conspiratorial. The, the thing, you know, the uh, angle that it was taken at and the conclusions that the writer came w- up with. And it was like, it seemed it really nothing about the satanic panic. And like, mm-hmm. I spoke to that journalist on the phone and I was saying, these are the issues. This is the concern when it comes to recovered memories and stuff like that. Didn't include any of it. So it's like, when, when that's the way you're going to write your articles, you know, you had a clear idea of what article you were going to write before you talked to anybody mm-hmm. and nobody was going to dissuade you from it. And it's clear from the Jezebel you know, email that I got that a story was already written, you know, and I'm going through the motions of pretending I'm giving you a chance to reply, even though I'm not really telling you what the accusations are kind of thing. And that's why I'm going to do my kind of preemptive recording to discuss that. Well, you know, websites, they're all playing at journalism, including my website, failedstateupdate.com. Had to get the plug in there and everybody just don't start doing reaction videos then i'll fucking kill you if you start doing reaction videos i will fucking kill you i'm gonna do a reaction video to this video unless you're doing it to satanic planet you're just sitting there like nice nice oh i love no no reaction videos um everybody subscribe to failed state update youtube channel and um one last question uh someone wants to know if you have if you wear socks or something, this is really odd. Um, do you like wearing funny or silly socks? And if so, what's your favorite pair? You know, I, I'm ashamed now that I've been presented with this, that I, I don't really have any, any funny socks. My socks are just like black socks, black, like sweat sock socks, mm. like about as boring as you get boxers and and sweat socks and sometimes it's all i wear around the house black like evil uh jg you got any uh final words or questions before we uh wrap this up um yeah i i just wanted to add one more thing uh if felucian has a second for this um i know we've talked about issues uh, of both the right and the left but one thing that I find really scary about the moment we're in is I think we're starting to see the cats out of the bag with a lot of the right wing in America, specifically the sort of Christian nationalists, right? I mean, we have uh, figures like J.D. Vance, uh, who, who ran for Congress recently, basically coming out and say, you know, that the Constitution may not be enough to protect us Christians anymore. We need 
you know, uh, I mean, they're basically calling for Caesarism. Uh, and he's not the only one. You have other people, uh, Patrick Deneen and these other sort of academic figures on the right uh, that are openly kind of calling for like Caesarism and, and not even really supporting the Constitution anymore. What do you think of this development amongst the right? And I mean, of course, there's also the January 6th incident. I mean, it's it's really getting uh, scary, I would say. Well, right. And I, 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 I honestly think it's it started, some of this started in the Reagan era, I think, with the uh, when they failed to hold anybody re- important really accountable for the Iran Contra scandal, that was a horrible precedent. And I think ever since we've seen politicians get away with more rather than less than the average person in the population, I think that's entirely backward. Like perjury, that type of thing, that should be litigated more harshly, I think, for politicians, and it's it's litigated less harshly now. And with George W. Bush, we really saw a push to expand executive privileges of the executive office to really have absolute command and control. And uh, Trump brought in Bill Barr, who was a real advocate for the absolute power of the executive branch. And Trump, I think, was too stupid to really go too far in initiating the coup he wanted to have. But what's frightening is how ineffectively and idiotically he went about trying to overturn the election and how well he did anyways. And I think when you have people now uh, crying apocalypse and saying we need, you know, some kind of new king or emperor, you know, to head the United States, I think they fully recognize that the next Republican to take office, um, if he's, you know, any bit smarter than Trump, which is is not a difficult task by any stretch of the imagination, or could even be as dumb as Trump, but, you know, uh, just on advice from some competent person put in a cabinet of people who actually understand the process and the system and, and law and things like that, we're going to see the coup made very real, and we are going to see ourselves become a Christian nationalist state. And it's uh, appalling to me that even now people can hear what I'm saying and judge it hysterical, even seeing how things are playing out. You're just not paying attention if you don't see it coming. And on that delightful note, um, thanks, Lucian, everybody. Yeah, but have a great night, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for coming out tonight. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very true. It's been though. a great show. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, we'll pick we'll pick up there next time we have a do one of these. Yeah, yeah. Right. For thanks. sure. Thanks, everybody. Man.